0: Welcome to Broadway's Backbone with Brad Bradley, a podcast dedicated to the men and women of the ensemble. These unsung heroes of singers, dancers, and actors are the hardest-working people on the boards and are, well, Broadway's backbone. Welcome to episode ninety-three. My special guest is Sam Strasfeld. Hello, I'm sitting here with Sam Strasfeld, and welcome to Broadway's Backbone. How are you doing tonight? I'm great, man. I'm really, really great. Yeah. So I'm gonna just read uh, just. Some of your partial credits. On Broadway, you have Mary Poppins, Scandalous, Annie, American in Paris, Miss Saigon, Carousel, Kiss Me Kate. Tours include American in Paris, Jersey Boys, and also Mary Poppins. And currently on television on Apple TV, you can be seen in Schmigadoon. So thank you. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Brad. It's Absolutely. Honor and a pleasure.
1: So let's start out. Uh, How did you get started and where are you from? So I got started uh, dancing in that classic way because my sisters did it. Uh, My older sister, Gabby, took ballet classes and my parents enrolled me in TAP. But my sister was doing ballet and TAP, so she got to go to class twice a week where I only got to go once a week. And just, you know, as an eight-year-old boy, that just wasn't fair. So I demanded that I also take ballet class, and my parents were like, are you sure? And I was like, yes! And the whole time, my parents were very supportive, but they were never pushy. They were always like, are you sure? So, to answer the first part of your question, I also, I grew up in Winnipeg, Manitoba which is a city uh, north of Fargo in Canada. Okay. So like a three-hour straight shot north of Fargo. So if you imagine a place a little colder and a little flatter than Fargo, that's where <laughs> I grew up. Yeah. Wow, okay. But yeah, I was very lucky that there was a, a great ballet school there, the Royal Winnipeg Ballet. So when I started dancing, I was actually, I didn't realize the sort of, uh, not advantage, but just the benefit I had of being able to attend like a really excellent institution. So, is that where you say you got uh, almost all of your, your dance, professional dance training? Um, so, that's what, like, I mean, that, that was definitely the foundation, mm. I would say, right? So, like, definitely a heavy, heavy ballet with a little bit of tap. And then uh, when I was about 12 or 13, I actually stopped dancing altogether because I was going into the ninth grade and it was about to become very intense. I was, in, I was in a professional ballet program, and it would have meant that I would be missing half a day of school, and that I would probably graduate with like, the bare minimum of credits, or I would graduate a year late from high school. And I just wasn't loving dance as much at that mm. point. You know, I kind of was interested in sports. I loved playing you know, hockey and baseball and basketball, and it was gonna mean giving those things up. And I just wasn't ready to do that. At that time stage in my life so that was a moment too where my parents were like i was like i don't want to dance i want to do this anymore and my parents were like are you sure (laughs) and yeah i was very lucky that they were very supportive you know of me choosing not to pursue dance anymore and i was also very lucky that my parents from an early age like they wanted to expose us to everything so that was a really cool thing like we got to do like i had i'd already been playing sports I got to do dance, I got to play an instrument, like piano and even guitar. I I mean, I had like an upper middle class upbringing, I was very privileged and, you know, can look back on that now and I'm like very grateful for it. And also that my parents were so liberal as far as like wanting to expose us to different things and want us to sort of cultivate our own interests. Yeah. Well, I think that's fantastic. So were you bullied or anything like that for dance? So I was lucky. Because I think it was because I also played sports, and that I was very athletic. That dancing helped. Like, yeah, it, it all it like other children my age could tell that I had very good balance. Like I was a very even mm. though I was undersized, I was like a very good athlete for my age. And because of that, I think I was able to escape bullies. You know, being bullied. I think I also grew up in a neighborhood that was very liberal, which helped significantly as well. I think I, the part of Winnipeg that I grew up in, River Heights, yeah, which is very liberal, and I think that helped an enormous amount because I heard I've heard stories, you know, from a lot of oh, other yeah. people about getting bullied, and I was just like, I mean, I was afraid of it for sure. Like it's that thing of like you don't want to be don't be the bunny is that that line from like you in town right <laughs> or that whole song where it's just like you don't want to be the one that gets picked on or you don't want to be the one who gets eaten and you know I'm speaking of that metaphorically so yeah I wanted to prove myself at all times you know that I was like you know I'm like straight and I'm like tough and strong but I was also very lucky that the the community I grew up in didn't care so much about that
0: oh that's great
1: yeah so when did dance come back into your life uh, it came back in, in my second last year of high school. So when I stopped dancing I started playing a lot more guitar and playing sports. And in playing guitar I became part of the pit band for my high school drama program like the music theater program. So I was playing in the pit band for the shows. and. We got to go to Disney World as part of like a performing arts field trip. And I was like, this is the best. Yes, I you know? (laughs) And it was while we were there, there were workshops that were offered, like singing, there there was like a singing workshop and a dance workshop. And at the time, everyone was like, Sam, you used to dance. Why don't you do that? And and I was, even at that time, I was like, I don't do that anymore. I'm too cool for that. That was like in the 10th grade. Well, cut to uh, the 11th grade and my high school is putting on a production of Crazy For You and I was like well I used to love tap dancing and I was like you know it'd be pretty cool to like tap dance so I decided to audition for that and was cast as one of the trio of cowboys you know Mingo Moose and Sam so I I played Sam in the trio and that got me back into dancing and that year I was taking like some tap maybe a little bit of jazz and that was in grade 11 and then in 12th grade I started doing like more much more dance again and started playing less sports, but just really focused on the arts. And that was sort of kind of what got me back into performing. Then as I I finished, you know, was getting towards the end of my 12th grade, I didn't know what I was going to do, to be perfectly honest. I was like, I guess I'll go to like a university or college in Winnipeg, get a liberal arts degree or Canadian College for Performing Arts came through Canada because there used to be this thing called Spirit of a Nation which started off in Prince Edward Island. It was sort of part of adjunct to the Charlottetown Festival. Mm. And then it moved to British Columbia, but the people who ran it, uh, Janice Dunning and Jacques LeMay, were starting a brand new uh, college for performing arts, basically a conservatory program. And it was, they were doing this thing where they were auditioning for the summer show which was their spirit of a nation, but they were also auditioning for the college and you could kind of like audition for both. And maybe you'd get like the show, maybe you'd be accepted to the college or maybe both because the, the show was like also a paid performance opportunity. I wasn't hired for the show, but I was accepted into the college, which thank God it was the only college I had auditioned for. Like I didn't even think of like the other schools in Canada, like Sheridan or Randolph or like, you know, there's now even more you know great performing arts programs, but I was accepted into that. So I went to that in its inaugural year. Uh, It was a one-year program. Uh, And then I graduated in 1999. And then I was very lucky to book a show right out of college. And I got my equity card.
0: Oh, fantastic. What show was it?
1: Uh, It was a show called Swing. Not the swing that was on Broadway. But a Canadian version, you know, thereof, it was like 1999, and that was like the big craze, right? This big bad voodoo daddy, Brian Setzer, and like all those artists. And it played in Vancouver, and then it transferred to Toronto. And when we did it in Toronto, Michael Buble was in the cast. Oh, very cool. Yeah, so this was like before he blew up and was discovered. And... Yeah, it was just like, you know, we came to Toronto and played and we did okay. We ran, I think for like four months or so. I was very lucky because I also, like I did the show in Vancouver, It transferred to Toronto and they took me with it because it wasn't technically like uh, the same production. Mm. That helped get me my agent who I still, I'm still with the same agent from then. That really laid the foundation then from, for like the next 10 or so years of my career in Canada. Oh, wonderful.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm going to fast forward just a sure, little sure. bit to yeah.
1: kind of where we are now.
0: Yeah. I mean, as I said, some of the, your last credits between Carousel and American in Paris and Kiss Me Kate, some of the most incredible dancing yeah. and some of the dancing you did, you are honestly one of the best dancers on Broadway right now. And that is, I mean, that is not just my opinion, it is okay. a fact. So cut to where your body still age, no matter how great your body is in shape. Mm-hmm. So you're at the peak of your, your dance career and everything and you're even doing workshops of new Broadway shows and the pandemic hits. Yes, it's mm-hmm. terrible and you will work again. So it's not saying that, but that's your body aged. Yeah. So how was that mentally and emotionally to have all of that part of it stop? Cause it's not just about the performing, it's a lot more about like not being able to speak your your first language.
1: Yeah, no, that's a that's a really great point. And- there's a few there's a few parts to this answer i'm maybe going to drop a bombshell here but i had worked on so to just backtrack a little bit i was like just before the pandemic like you said i was working on the workshop of the music man and it was and it was a great experience but it was also like i was like "Mm, one of these things does not belong here like i don't look like a 16 year old you know as humbled as i might be by like you know maybe if i shaved and had a fresh face i'm like i just next to an actual 16 or 18 year old i you know I don't look the same so uh, after I did that workshop they were like yeah you know you don't quite fit into like being one of the adult townspeople but you're not quite a kid so I think we're just gonna you know that's as far as it's gonna go with you on this project and I was like you know I was a little bummed but I was also because I was thinking that like Music Man was gonna be my swan song I was honestly thinking of at that time just being like great I'll do Music Man and I'll call it a career eight Broadway shows that's freaking great yeah Yeah. Uh, so that happened and I was like oh But I was also in this point of transitioning potentially out of a career uh, as a dancer anyway or performer, right? Because it's, as you know, it's hard. It's physically demanding. It's six days a week, 52 weeks a year, eight shows a week. And there's an enormous amount of pressure that we put on ourselves, right? At least I know I did. We're just like trying to always be in the top physical condition, you know, and being always being performance ready, whether you're in a job or not, because you don't know when you're going to get that phone call. Right, I was very lucky with Annie. I got a phone call. I auditioned for it, and then literally a year later, they just called me out of the blue and they're like, "Hey, we want to make an offer for to Sam to replace someone who's leaving our company. Um, we just need to know how tall he is, you know, like just to make sure I fit the costumes." But it was just like, didn't even audition, you know. Wow. But that's just always how I've felt my entire career. Like, yeah. I always have to be in the best shape possible, and I put an enormous amount of stress on myself. And what I really learned in the last you know, couple of years was to find a little bit more balance. The other thing I realized too was like, I wasn't getting as much from performing as I used to, you know, like there's a lot of, you, you put a lot into it and it's a sort of all consuming, very demanding career. And I think if you don't truly love it, it's, it's a really, it's a tricky thing to, to continue doing because it, it demands a lot. It, it asks a lot and it takes a lot. And if you're not willing to make those sacrifices, I've worked with those people. I've worked with the people who didn't want to make the sacrifices and you know, what they did on stage to me, at least was, you know, not always as good as you feel like it could have been, but also they were miserable to be around, yeah. you know, like I don't want to be one of those people who's miserable going to work, miserable going to work on a, in a Broadway show, like to be one of those few lucky people in a Broadway, like life's too short. Yeah. So during the pandemic, Uh, I doubled down as far as like personal training, nutrition coaching, group fitness instruction, and I just really went as far as I could into that in terms of like furthering my education because I have a dream of bringing that information to performing arts colleges.
0: Oh, that's really a great
1: idea. Yeah, I, I dream of basically creating like a workshop or a foundational habits for performers masterclass that will help teach. Performers, you know, at an earlier age, uh, how to move their bodies in a way that is functional. You know, the problem with dance is that it's an aesthetic art form. We don't care what's happening on the inside of our body. Mm. We only care about the external, the external <laughs> output, right? Yes. Literally, achieve this shape with your body via whatever means possible. We don't yeah. care. If it, we don't care if it's healthy. We just want you to look like that. Yeah. So, I just want to be able to teach performers how to like move better so that when they move more often they can move for a longer period of time like hopefully extend people's careers you know there's a lot of things in dance which are i don't want to say antithetical to, to science but to some degree yeah it's like athletes don't train that way but dancers do why yeah you know in this age of wokeness now i feel like people are starting to ask those questions and i hope we can really take that to just how we treat our bodies and how we treat performers Right? We're, you know, we're talking about mental health, and hopefully people can start thinking about that as it relates to performing, as it relates to our nervous systems. You know, like when we go on stage, we're essentially putting, like, have you ever had nervous poops? <laughs> yeah, Right? Yeah. But you maybe you go on for an understudy or maybe whatever. Yeah. That's your sympathetic nervous system. That is your fight or flight mechanism. Evacuating your bowels so that it doesn't have to focus on digestion. It can focus instead on what it perceives as a threat, and I would love to just teach performers about and you're like that's okay. Hey, yeah. sometimes I'm not saying it's a bad thing. Right? No, there's a yeah. there's a time and a place for it, but yeah. like, and sometimes you need that fight or flight, you know, yes. to get through a show. But if you're continuously putting yourself in that state, it's gonna wear on your nervous system.
0: Yeah. No. Sometimes I feel just the the repercussions of not only things that I've done to my body, but to my self-esteem and my psyche and my yeah. anxiety. And just, I've discovered so much of that uh, during the pandemic and it's just not worth it anymore. And now in many ways I'm enjoying things better because I've taken a, so much of the pressure
1: off of them. <laughs> yeah. So that is such a great thing to say with this. So my last show, Kiss Me Kate, as I was doing it, I was tr- treating it like it was my last show. I made a decision. I'm like, this might be my last Broadway show. And I will treat every performance like it might be my last show. And it was actually incredibly um, liberating, right? It's that idea of like, to some degree of meditating on death, right? We're going to die. It's inevitable. So how can I stay present in this moment and enjoy it versus wishing to be somewhere else?
0: Yeah, no, I think that that, I mean, bringing that completely more into my life is definitely making my life better and grateful grateful for things speaking of health and longevity I mean right now we're at uh, the Mark Fisher Fitness Clubhouse Mm -hmm. where me starting coming here added 10 years onto my dance career just because like I started taking better care of myself I just took your class Right. right now so it seems that you're already thriving in this type of second career so doing all this kind of coaching and everything and you've coached me do you get the kind of joy that you were helping people
1: that you felt like you were lacking when you were performing yeah yeah and that and that was a big struggle you know like I I was never I'm an extroverted introvert right I, I definitely am not like a big crowd person I don't necessarily get a ton of energy from being around other people and A lot I think of performers are extroverted extroverts, Mm -hmm. right? Where they're like, they want that attention, they want to be there in a crowd. And yeah, so for me, A, performing was exhausting, but B, I didn't necessarily feel like I was helping people. And that was a challenge, you know, like, It started and especially as I started to feel like I had to make more and more sacrifices Mm -hmm. to to stay you know, be ready to perform and to kind of be at the best of my game, it made it sort of not feel like I was helping anyone but myself and it felt it felt kinda lonely and selfish. You know, and I'm not saying that that it's impossible for it to feel otherwise, but that was just where I was at in my journey.
0: Yeah, no, and that comes different times. Yeah. It's not like you weren't you felt that way all the time, but the fact that you felt like that way and instead of choosing to check out you chose to be even more present. Yeah, I mean, I think that's
1: remarkable. Thank so, you. what brought you then to uh, New York? So, uh, Mary Poppins is the fir- is what brought me to New York. I was like, I had been auditioning for shows in New York for, for like eight years. I think my fr- my first auditions were in two thousand in, in in October or November of two thousand. I'll never forget. It was for Aida, and then the for, and then Annie, get your gun, and then also Forty Second Street that was just before like that revival came out right and I was doing a production of Joseph at the time and I had like a big Jufro and a beard and I remember going into that 42nd Street audition and Randy Skinner just looking at me and just kind of being like no (laughs) like I mean I looked wrong like I didn't know at the time about like dressing like for the audition like I was so I was so green right and in a lot of ways I'm really grateful that I didn't book any shows until I was like 28 29 because I wasn't ready, you know? And like, like Malcolm Gladwell says, there's no such thing as an overnight success. Right, right? exactly. And I'm so grateful that I had the time, that I had my 20s to improve. Like I've always, I, and I say this to this date is I feel like my entire career, I, I've been a lifelong apprentice, right? I'm always gonna get to work with someone who's older, who's someone who's done more, someone who I can learn something from. And I was always grateful to have those experiences in every single show that I did. So I came to New York to do Mary Poppins in December 2008. I started in January 2009. And as a Canadian, I had to deal with immigration. So I came down here and I was on a visa. So I was very lucky that, you know, Disney is one of those big companies that is willing to do the legwork and pay to hire, you know, foreign nationals. So I was doing Disney for a couple. I did it for about two and a half years on Broadway. And after a while, I was, you know, I was working on getting my green card, which would allow, which would open the door to other opportunities. But you know, I also could audition for shows that would start far enough away. Mm. So even while I was doing Mary Poppins, like I auditioned for the, like, Anything Goes, that revival. I'm trying to think. I auditioned for, like, Casual Fall, which I was like, I'm not right for this. My friend, my friend Duncan Stewart called me in. <laughs> he, he literally asked me to audition a few times and I was like, I don't think this is my show, but okay. And I had a great audition. but like. I mean the people who did that show this was the uh, douglas hodge oh yes and it was like it was fucking great it was so good excuse me am i allowed to curse is that okay yes. okay i did not audition a ton initially but then i auditioned for follies the revival that played at the kennedy center and that's also how i got to know warren warren carlisle okay and um i booked that and that was great because that audition i feel like i auditioned for that in like a november december and it didn't start till april may so I was able to sort of give my notice at Mary Poppins but also make sure I had all my paperwork in order because that's like the other thing it's not just like jumping from show to show you have to make sure your like immigration papers are ready Ugh. yeah it was, it was a little stressful I'm not gonna lie because I was all like wait I gave I, I just told Disney that I'm leaving the job like what if my visa isn't ready in time you know like what's, yeah his folly's just gonna be like oh it's fine we're gonna hire someone else you know like I was thankfully not you know greg barnes costumes they're like spending oh, lots of money yes. yeah beautiful like you know tailored within an inch of its life they at that point it's cheaper for them to make sure i get my visa than to hire someone else and change the costumes so yeah i uh, i went from poppins to to that show and then while i was doing follies mary poppins called me and was like hey once you're done with this you want to go on the tour and i said yes because in my head there was two things i needed to keep working to keep my like to keep my immigration status yes. moving forward but I was also like, we're running in like the summer. If we transfer, we're gonna transfer next spring, right? I mean, that show was built to transfer. Right, yeah. Right? Like everyone, Bernadette, Jan, uh, Danny, everyone. And when we got there, we didn't find out that we were transferring until the very last week. And then they were like, we're transferring right away. <gasps> I know, and I was a little bit like, uh, sh- I've agreed to like go on tour with Mary Poppins and I tried to get out of it and it was like no you you're you signed this contract we expect you to show up here and be here to start when you're supposed to start so I wasn't able to do the show on Broadway but then I was able to join the cast when I went to LA because oh, okay. someone else someone else dropped out and it all worked out it was like sort of a heartbreaking thing but also it was the right thing to happen at that time yeah you know long roundabout way it helped me to get divorced Which was something I think I needed to do. Well, not I don't think, and uh, I definitely needed to go through. You know, yeah. It was one of those things where I'm like, well, this happened for a reason. You know.
0: Yeah. Well, I think that that's one thing that's hard is like we go out and we're smiling and dancing and having a good time, but real life happens, and sometimes our even our performing life is a huge heartbreak. I know some of my flops have been terribly heartbreaking, but now I look back on them and I say, oh, that's when I was going through this part of my life, and they. They have a different significance. You have a, a very famous flop, scandalous. Yes. <laughs> uh, I mean that. How is I mean to put so much work into something that
1: closes almost immediately? Is that gotta hurt? Yeah, I mean it, that was a crazy show to work on. It was one of those where, from day one, we were all a little bit like, "How is this gonna fly? Like, how are we gonna make this work?" And, you know, they really did... It was incredible, I think, because they, they hired an incredible cast to make the show as good as it could be. Yeah. You know? Carol Lee got nominated for a Tony Award. <laughs> Rightfully so. Did you get to... I don't know if you I didn't. Me. Yeah, I mean, we ran... We previewed for, like, a month and then ran for, I think, a total of three weeks. Okay. But, Longer you know... Longer Carrie. Hey, right? And, like, every, every day, every Tuesday, we would show up at the theater and be like, is it up? Are we... Is, is, the, is there <laughs> notice... Are we having a company meeting today? It was, I mean, George Hearn was in it. Oh wow! Like it was, there were some other like heavy hitters too. It was just too. I mean, a it was too long from the outset. <laughs> Kathy Lee was a delightful, super sweet, but one day she came in. This is when I knew we were in trouble. We we just sang an arrangement. Um, Joel Fram was the MD, and he was also doing some of the vocal arrangements. And he's brilliant that's actually one of the hardest shows vocally i have ever sung oh wow the the harmonies were so intricate in a way that like reminded me of like floyd collins like the the reporter trio it was like bananas but we sang a new arrangement of one of her songs and she came in and she was like oh that's my new favorite i love all my babies her songs and i was like you're gonna have to give some of them up for adoption yeah because we got too many (laughs) and and this is like three plus hours in a table read-through you know like it's not gonna fly and it's also just the material is like it's interesting but bio musicals like a biopic right it's always a challenge yeah i think you have to really be specific about what period of someone's life you want to talk talk about it's funny because like almost at the same time or maybe it was later yeah around the same time there was the cha- chaplain oh people, yes you know And Rob, like, that show, there were parts of that show that were brilliant! It was like, blow, Yeah. But it was just a little bit like, what, you need to decide what this is about. Yeah. And be really specific. So, yeah, I think that's what we kind of suffered from. But yeah, we learned, I mean, I learned some things about, like, creating a new show. That was my first brand new, like, Mm. you know, original production of a Broadway show. I mean, it definitely felt like we were pushing a rock uphill the whole time, and we were just kind of like, it was funny, like, the more experienced cast members were like, you know, if we're lucky, we'll make it to Christmas. Right, because oh. we had opened, I think December third ish, mm. and they're like, if we're lucky, we'll make it to the end of the year. Like they had no sort of illusions about what this what we were working on. You know? Oh wow.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, one of the hardest jobs there is on Broadway is to be a swing, and you swung Kersa, which I mean, just to blow high, blow low number is unbelievable. Uh, how were you at being a swing and being having to jump around and? do all of that in different positions and thinking and not getting hurt and not kinking someone else.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, that, that number A is the hardest number I've ever done. I've never thought I would throw up before after doing a number. And that was the first time where we, when we were doing it in the rehearsal halls, that, that number, I came, we like finished doing it one day and I thought I was going to throw up. I've never ever experienced that before. Oh my god! So it was like. That shit was hard. That show, we were lucky that we had um, we had three swings. It was myself, Corey John Snide, and Colin Anderson. Corey is like has a photographic memory, so and he was our dance captain. What's Corey's last name? Snide. Corey John Snide. He just was the associate on the movie. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Was he in the Cats movie? Yeah. Yes. That's so wild. Yeah. He's brilliant. Yes. He's a and he's a kid. He's an infant. So he had that kind of brain. So wow. having Corey there was like super helpful. You know, you gotta shout out a good dance captain. Yeah. Help. But I covered, I covered, I was sort of this, the crossover swing. So Colin was like a vocal cover. Corey was a dance cover and I was like the tweener. And that's actually when I grew my beard. Ah. So there was a couple roles that I covered. Like I covered uh, like Ricky Ubeda and Jess Laprado. I never went on for either of them. Or I may have done partial versions of their tracks, but had I had to go on for them, I would have had to like shave. So I was very glad that I never had to. <laughs> but we were, that show was, that was a beast, yeah. That was a, that was a behemoth of a show to cover and it was, it was a challenge and it was, I mean, you know, it's one of those things too, when something's really hard, it forces you to be better. Yeah. So I think it, it made me a better performer, dancer, better swing. But also I've 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 swung a f- couple, a few shows now, and it takes it takes me at least like three to six months to know the show. To feel comfortable enough that you can like know the show inside out enough that by looking at your notes you can like do a track. And you can jump from track to track or do a split track, right? Oh, yes. Like when I swung Mary Poppins, I had done it on for two and a half years on Broadway, and I was like the Bert cover, and I had my own track, so I knew the show pretty well. And there was a day where I did played five different people in one single show. Oh my gosh! Yeah, it's like that. That happens on long running shows all the time. Yeah. Where they, you know, you do sometimes you do like a split track, and then there's like a split track where it's like five different roles. We were lucky that never really happened with Carousel. We didn't run too, too long. And also we had like a really good cast, I think, of people who looked after themselves. It's also that kind of thing of like sometimes when a show is that hard, the cast, you know, just kind of steps up and is like, you know, I got to look after myself so I can do this. Yeah, no, makes
0: complete sense. Yeah. Uh, so there was this picture of you from Kiss Me Kate where you looks like you are flying in the air. It's just one of the most oh, gorgeous man. photos uh, of you and that the dancing and, that you did in that show. But you also have your full beard. And I love it because uh, I think that there's such a perception that in order to be like a, a Broadway person, you have to be clean shaven, you have to have all this complete certain look. And it's, I love that you are like defying that and I mean, granted your body it is ridiculous. I, I swear people turn off the air conditioner so to, so that you take off your shirt when you're training. <laughs> Especially like during the home, I think uh, during Zoom for about right. a year and a half, they would like, everyone would cheer and like yeah. the chat box would go crazy <laughs> when you take off your shirt. It's nice to see like you want to be who you are and be the healthiest version of yourself. And also, you I mean take also very good care of yourself. And I just like that authenticity yeah. of you. Was there was there a moment when agents and stuff were like, "Okay, you need to shave. You need to do this. You need to be more wholesome
1: looking." Not in a really direct way, I would say. I think, sort of like a going to auditions where all of a sudden you were expected to show up like quasi in costume or quasi in <laughs> character. You know, there is those there are certain directors and choreographers who like that that made me feel pressured to maybe look a certain way. You know, there's like, I definitely remember when I was clean shaven, there's like the Broadway hairdo, like, you know, on Wednesdays and Saturdays, you go to any sort of like restaurant in midtown and you can definitely spot who's maybe like coming from their show, right? right? Not just by like the little bit of makeup that might still be in their face, but like, you know, by like the haircut, you know? I've been auditioning a little bit and I have just for like TV film commercials and I've def- at the end of everything is like, would you be willing to shave? And I'm always like, yeah, you know, it's a beard. I guess th- what sort of felt liberating in a way is not feeling attachment to my appearance. Right? Because yes. It's like, you know, in all our Broadway contracts, it's like the appearance rider, right? It's like, you're not supposed to change your appearance. You're not supposed to cut your hair or shave your face or... Or, like, gain in excess of X amount of weight. Either way. Or lose, you know? Like, and that's, I've just always been like, well, my appearance doesn't belong to me. So, I will do whatever they say. But, I was lucky. I've been pretty lucky, yeah. Since I grew the beard, that, like, it was, I started growing it at the end of Miss Saigon. So, then, yeah. Carousel and Kiss Me Kate. Yeah, these, and Schmigadoon. They all were like, yeah, we love the beard. We're going to keep it. Like, you know. My God. Schmigadoon. So, on TV. This is the other thing. I mean, you just experienced this. It's. It's crazy because for the sake of continuity, they need to maintain your appearance on a day like daily basis, right? Like at a th- in a Broadway show, you know, your hair can grow, right? Because like everyone who sees you is seeing you over the course of two and a half hours, you know, like your appearance doesn't change that much over yeah. two and a half hours. But in a TV show, you know, for example, Schmigadoon, we filmed the finale on the very first day. <laughs> we filmed. We filmed part of it, right, and then we didn't film the rest of it until like two and a half months later. Wow! So it's like they got to make sure I look exactly the same two and a half months later. So the amount of detail that was put into my facial hair—I've never had someone snip individual hairs of my mustache.
0: Oh my god! That way,
1: you know, and like the care with which they took to like spirit gum the ends of my mustache to like curl them up—it was crazy. Like the attention to detail was out of this world, but I was very grateful that they won- let me keep the beard. And to be honest, my girlfriend noticed me because of my beard. She asked her friend, who was also in Kiss Me Kate, uh, who was like, who's, who's Beard Guy? What's, what's his story? Nice. Yeah, and so as long as she likes it, I that's like what, it. That's what matters. Right, I'll keep it. I'm very happy
0: yeah. with it. So that's a, a perfect transition. Tell me about Shmigadoon. Like you filmed it during covid yeah uh up in canada that's uh, right in vancouver in vancouver I mean, i've only watched the first two episodes um so i'm a little behind although uh i've heard, heard some spoilers already yeah. so i'm like don't tell me okay um how was that whole experience and also getting to dance and have it be recorded forever I mean I grew up on all those production numbers and dance yeah. movies and you know I mean uh, stuff from Schmigadoon is already being numbers are already being shared I mean that must be, feel so amazing to be part of something that's like going to be looked at documented because probably yeah. shows don't get documented like yeah.
1: that yeah it is that is a weird thing right like that's the beauty of theater is that it is it is intangible right it lives as a memory right and there's a part of me that loves and hates that hey, we got to be present, yeah. right? When you're in that audience, pay attention. Mm-hmm. Schmigadoon was a, a, a joy and it, it was a gift. Like it literally, Chris Catelli called, texted me or messaged me on Facebook, I think, actually, and was just like, hey, are you still performing? And this was in, I want to say like July of 2020. And I was like, well, I'm not like actively seeking any opportunities because there aren't really any right now, yeah. but I'm not... Not performing, I'm just, you know, I'm working as a personal trainer and group fitness instructor for Marfish Fitness. Well, he was like, well, I'm going to be working on this show that's being shot in Canada, and I know that you're Canadian. I was wondering if you'd want to do it. I was like, uh, sure. And he's like, what's, like, what do you need? And he's like, just, like, put together a little two-minute dance reel, maybe include some singing, and then just, like, send it to this address. Send it, you know, like, do this. So I did that and then they were like, okay, yeah, we're gonna, you're gonna get an offer to do this. And like, <laughs> so like that was the audition process, which was kind of bananas. Uh, Chris had seen me in some other shows right, and we had met as you often meet in physical therapy. Uh, oh yes. Right though, that great networking place. Ugh. Hey, but I love it. Yeah, no, like, absolutely. Yeah. And like, you know, dancers are athletes. So yeah, Chris was being treated for something. And it was, I think it was, yeah, it was during Kiss Me Kate and he came over and said, hello. And it was like, It was just really touching. He's um, one of the most down to earth, wonderful humans I've ever had the opportunity to work with. Yeah, he offered me this job and I was able to go do it. So then I flew to Vancouver and this was the craziest thing because we didn't really finalize the deal until Thursday of whatever week it was. And so then I bought that Thursday, once I had like signed my contract, I bought a plane ticket for that Sunday. I've never done that. And I was like, okay, I'm flying to Vancouver. I'm gonna quarantine for two weeks and then work on this tv show for maybe a couple months so i got to vancouver and i was able to find a place to stay through my sister in this with a friend who had a two bedroom so i would just stay in my bedroom and i didn't leave the apartment for two weeks i was so lucky that i was able to teach homebody oh i took classes right you're stuck in that room yeah yeah exactly it was kind so, of a decent size room it, it almost was did. and it had a mirror like a mirrored closet yes. so it, it kind of <laughs> helped to make it seem bigger i mean it's also vancouver if you've ever been there it's, yes it is like a heaven on earth. I love it. While I was there, I was just teaching homebody. So I was so grateful that I at least I've had that to like occupy me and keep me sane and grounded. I also, you know, took a number of classes while I was there. And then we started rehearsal and it was, you know, in the middle of a pandemic. So even before we started, I got COVID tested. And I remember actually getting very nervous because, you know, I'm like, I'm doing everything I can to not get COVID. I, I knew that I had had it because I had tested positive for antibodies earlier. Mm. I pretty, I'm pretty sure I got, I got COVID right when the lockdown happened. Oh, okay. You know, like I spiked the fever around March 14th. Oh you wow. Know, like yeah. literally the day after like Friday, it was Friday the 13th and then Saturday the 14th. And then, yeah, I had a fever and called out of work uh, at the clubhouse. So I knew I had had, had had COVID, but you know, we still weren't sure like, what does that mean? Like, does yeah. it mean you're immune? Does it mean you can't get it a second time? Like what? So I remember being tested on like the Friday before we were supposed to start rehearsals on the Monday and just being kind of terrified. Cause I was like, what if I test positive? Like, are they literally gonna be like, okay, you're, we're not hiring you. Like, oh my goodness. like I yeah. just had no idea. What was yeah. gonna happen? So anyways, I got tested. Clearly I didn't test positive. So then start work on that Monday. This is my first time ever working on a TV show, ever being on set in this capacity. I had done like two other things that were like one day, you know, show up, do this see you later it was just surreal like we would be tested three times a week we wore masks at all times except for when we were finally shooting with which would then we wore this like what i would call a cone of shame (laughs) it was this weird plastic shield you know that wouldn't ruin your makeup that sort of sat it sat it sits on your like neck and the visor comes up versus like down oh hysterical yeah you know the whole time too I mean I was trying to be as careful as I could like yeah. I definitely was like limiting contact exposure with other people keeping my mask on whenever I was anywhere in public and we ended up making a tv show in Vancouver in the middle of a pandemic but and I saw you have some singing solos even in, i even do. even in I've only seen two episodes I was like
0: Ah, that's my trainer. That's Sam. Yeah,
1: oh that, my gosh. Those are my probably. I think I'm most featured in the second episode. Yes. I saw but it. I'm I'm also in the fourth. No, the fifth and sixth. So the, the third and fourth. Uh, there's less of us in it. It was such an amazing experience, and Chris was so trusting. You know, and that was another beautiful thing about working with him. Is it felt like it was collaborative from mm. the outset, and like what you mentioned about you know these things being made sort of kept for posterity. It was a weird. For me, it was the first time to ever shoot dance like that, and you didn't know how many takes we were gonna get. So you're trying to do your best, but you're also trying to save a little bit in the tank, but the director, Barry, was very just like, we got it, you know? like he, We would shoot things, I think the most takes we did on any dance sequence was maybe, maybe six. For the most part, we would get it in like three, four, five,
0: takes that's amazing
1: yeah I think it was a testament to Chris's work because he did a really good job of like kind of blocking and changing things for the camera I mean that was that's the other thing too with camera the camera doesn't care how wide everyone is it wants just people to be kind of packed in and have and there's for there to be depth Mm. right look like left to right you don't want too many people it doesn't you can't see it right it's it's like having that sort of full depth behind whatever your sort of object of focus is. Yeah, Chris did an amazing job, but also one of the cool things was like, we got, I got to work in as an assistant choreographer, you know, I'm using air quotes. Right. Like, I didn't change any choreography, but I helped to teach like Cecily, Keegan, Jaime, and like some of the other actors, Some and like Aaron, some of their movement. And I even did like standing work. Oh, great. Yeah, which was, which was like super cool. And it was such a fun thing to be on set. I had never, had that experience and it was pretty magical. It started to feel like going to the theater.
0: Oh, wonderful. Because
1: we were, I was on set enough that I would be seeing the same, you know, the same grips, the same like gaffer, like, you know, the people working the, doing any of the scenic elements mm-hmm. or the props or the sound or the lighting, you know, and just getting to see these people on such a regular basis that it really felt like a family. And that's a community. great. Yeah. So that was, that. Made me long for that sensation of working on a show, that sense of being part of a team. Yeah. So that was really cool. That was also like a really, really amazing thing.
0: Swigadoon is also an amazing swan, swan song as yeah. well. I've, and I've, if, if your phone's obviously just rings, I mean, Andy Blankenbuehler for Andy just called right. it. Uh, Chris Catelli just texted it. So I have a feeling that you you'll be back. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I mean, but on your own terms. That's and that's the thing. Thanks, Brad. Yeah, like and I love like when we were speaking in the summer and you were talking about this film. I was like, that's super rad. Like I know that you've been a working actor for a long time and for like this opportunity to come up for yeah. you and obviously you've worked hard for it, you auditioned for it, you did all the things, but like I don't know, that's that's kind of where I'm at too. Like I I am not in a place where I, I I really appreciate the steadiness and the continuity I have currently in my life right now. And yeah, I'm not willing
0: to give that up. Yeah. During the pandemic, a lot of people's priorities have changed. Was there something, a shift that happened figuring out what the type of person you want to be or the type of man you want to be or the future. Did, you, did something change for you during the pandemic?
1: Yeah, I think a little bit. I think a little bit. I think, it be, I think it became more and more evident that I want to sort of be in the service of others by supporting and helping to the best of my ability. And that to me is like teaching people to move better and, you know, nutrition coaching, right? Even behavioral change coaching. That's a huge part of it right our self-limiting beliefs you know the, our self-talk like that so is so important yeah so just trying to help kind of illuminate those parts of people's lives to them that was a huge thing and then it was also just there was a great line there was a great meme that happened very i saw i remember i saw this very early on but it was like before we rush back to life as normal think about the parts that are rush, worth rushing back to
0: no i agree i know right now in my life there's certain things that worked for me before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And now that the world's quasi-opened, I'm going back to them and they're not right for me anymore. Yeah. And I still, like, I still love them, but like, they don't fit with the, this new version of Brad. And it's, it's some, some of it's breaking my heart because you're, you're like, oh, but if it doesn't serve me anymore. That, I think that's the thing. I was, things that don't serve me anymore, I was getting rid of. Thinking that they're, it's only, I'm only getting rid of things that I don't like. Yeah. There's things I do like that don't serve me anymore. And that's where I'm like, oh no,
1: this, this is, this is hard yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's, I've had a few coaching calls with people like that, you know, who are like, oh, this is what I always do. And then you like talk them through it and they're like, well, yeah. And then, well, yeah, you're right. I'm like, I'm doing all these things, which, you know, once upon a time were helping me. And now I'm realizing that they're just, they're sort of actually standing in the way from the things I really want to do. That's been a big part of it. And even then, like, oh, this is gonna sound terrible, but there's even a part of me that is like, you know, sometimes when you have that security, you know, it's like the golden handcuffs. Right. Right. And I, I don't long for insecurity. I do like continuity, steadiness, routine. There are still things that I aspire to do, like that Pro, you know, this program. That sounds unbelievable. And I need to do it. And it's yeah. been something that I've like, I did a beta test. So I did a, I did a, basically, I, I ran a, a sort of a, a beta group through it here at MFF. And then I also went and taught it at Sheridan College and now what I need to do is start reaching out to other schools in the U.S. and be like hey I've got this thing I can teach your students and it's going to give them an advantage over other performers and it's there's incredible value in it and I need to and I need to be more actively doing it but
0: I mean off the top of my head I know three people no four people at who run departments at universities that you could reach out to.
1: Great, And that's just off names. the top of my head. One well, of
0: them I was just texting with today. Okay. So you know I mean it's and I think it's a, ne- a necessary thing. Yeah. You know. Like I mean I didn't take care of myself. and I didn't really learn how to take care of myself until really until I hurt my back and then was like, ah, if I do want to keep dancing, I have to figure this out, and I wasn't eating properly, and I mean, back in the day, I was, you know, I could drink and do anything, and my body was fine. It's something that I never learned, because, um, I didn't, uh, I wasn't thinking about it,
1: you know? And we're not taught, Mm -mm. you know? It's still, and it's those kinds of things, self-care is, is still a weird, like, it's not taboo, but, you know, it's becoming less so, but it is thought of like, oh, that's selfish, you know, and you're looking after yourself first, like...
0: But you're, I'm a better person when I take care of myself.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And when you show up more fully for yourself, you show up more fully for others. Yeah. No, absolutely.
0: And I mean, I already know that you're a great coach. I mean, it's I I was lucky I got into your class. You're always, oh. you're always booked. The word on the street is uh, people like you very much, which I do as well. I just love that you're, you're, your kindness and your joy is authentic, and it comes across on stage, but also uh, as a, as a trainer. (laughs) Uh, So of your crazy dance career, I am a male dancer. Yeah. (laughs) When you know that like that's an original passion, it's just, there's such a, um, kinship that I yeah. love. Granted, I could never do, ever, so even at the peak peering. of my career, I, I could never that. do what you do. I think no. you're selling
1: yourself short.
0: No, I was de- completely different uh, different style. I wouldn't even go that high on the ladder as that Kiss Me Kate picture. What is something that we haven't talked about
1: that you're just really proud of in your life? Wow. Um, trying to tr- treat each obstacle as an opportunity. It's, it's kind of how I try to live my life. When something goes wrong is when we are offered the opportunity to learn something right we tend to take for granted when things go right you know you're just like oh well, that, w- that was great but it's like you know when when shit doesn't go your way that's when you can kind of stand in the flames a little bit and just figure out who you are as a person and also what you could do differently and i guess i feel pretty proud of being able to do that most of the time. Right. <laughs> um, you know, it's not, it's not to say it's always easy but to make that choice, but it's like, you yeah, know, it's the um, Viktor Frankl quote, you know, between stimulus and response lies the power to choose. That's brilliant. Okay. Thank you for that.
0: It, what's a song right now that's going on in your life that, uh, like, I play at the, I'll play at the end of the podcast that represents you like it's the credits?
1: Right now there's a song, Rubber Band Man, I think it's by The Spinners. It's a song that I just can't I can't get enough of right now. Oh great. And it's an old song, I believe it's on the Avengers track. It's like, yeah, the Spinners. The rubber band man.
0: Excellent. Well, this was a brilliant podcast. Thank you, thank you so much. pleasure.
1: thanks for asking. My pleasure. I'm glad we finally did this. Yes, me too.
2: Rhythm, grace, and heaven have for one man. Oh. and then he had to go to twinkle his left toe, but through his knee he got feeling in his head, y'all. I'm gonna get the band man.